0: Welcome to another episode of Revolution Recap, part of the Believe Network. We're coming to you after the New England Revolution fell two to one at the last place, Colorado Rapids, falling out of second place and missing a chance to become just the second team in the league to clinch a playoff spot. The result came after a tumultuous week that saw Clint P. A. replace Richie Williams as interim head coach, and both Shari Joseph and Dave Vandenberg leave the coaching staff, among lots of other things that we will get into later in this podcast. Um, I'm Sean Donahue today, joined by Hayden Bird of the Boston Globe. Hayden, how's it going?
1: It's going uh, pretty well, uh, and it's good to be here.
0: You know, we've got a lot to talk about today. I think this week we will start with the game. Before we jump into it, I wanted to quickly mention our sponsor. Football is back, and Bet Online is your number one information source for all your sports wagering info and all the up to minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL, college football, and of course, soccer at your fingertips with Bet Online's real time updates on statistics, news, and odds. From week one all the way to the college football playoff and Super Bowl, BetOnline gives you the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to their website today or use your mobile device and get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code BLEAV, that's Believe, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Uh, Hayden, like I said, lots to talk about here. I think we'll start off with our key takeaways from the game. We didn't do that last week, but this week I think we'll go back to that format. Um, let's get right into those. Of course, they are brought to you by our friend at the Rebellion Supporters Group. Be sure to check them out at AnyRebellion on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it and their website, anyrebellion.org. I believe they still have spots open for their foot golf tournament at Four Kicks in Norfolk on October 7th with a portion of the proceeds going to breast cancer awareness. So please sign up if you haven't yet. Uh, With all that, Hayden, what is your key takeaway from this one?
1: Uh, So my key takeaway, and again, uh, with the very, very big asterisk that we're going to get into all of the the full week of drama at the club later on. But just my key takeaway from the game was just uh, the lack of defensive depth that the revolution have uh, sort of um, not maybe directly costing them in this one, but just sort of manifesting in a general way that led to defensive breakdowns and issues that contributed to um, a defeat and more drop points after two previous games in which they dropped points, you know, in the last kick of the ball, basically. So that kind of reared its ugly head again, I would say.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And if you've been listening to the podcast this year, you know, since before the season started, I've been commenting on the fullback depth, which I, I never thought was good enough. And they brought in Ben Sweat to address it. I don't think that particularly worked out. Um, but I think that was very much on display this game. Even this week, you know, I was talking about the fact that, uh, you know, the, the roster freeze was Friday. So there was an opportunity to still bring in a free agent. And to me, that was the area to bring one in right back in particular at this point. Um, you actually asked, uh, awful I believe in the press conference this week whether they were going to make any moves before the roster freeze and he basically said no the roster's set we're not we're not looking to make moves um, I think that was a mistake I think you'd probably agree based on your takeaway that that was a mistake uh, but the the full back depth in particular was is, is really bad um you're forced to play either Andrew Farrell who for the last many many years of his career, has been a center back and a, you know pretty solid center back. Uh, was a right back earlier in his career, but I think now that he's on the wrong side of thirty, is not the time to make the switch back to right back. And then you have Matt Polster, who also played some right back a long long time ago in his career, uh, playing right back instead of defensive midfield, and he's done okay. I think I I, I like his performances better than what we saw from Andrew Farrell, uh, but at the same time, I think when you talk about kind of the, the midfield options i'd rather see him available in the midfield um i think he's probably still the rev's best number 6 despite the performances that K's put in so you're you're you know potentially weakening yourself or limiting your options there when you have him at right back um but i mean we can talk about center back depth too i think that will be fixed when henry kessler gets back healthy but uh, full back depth I don't I don't know that there's much you can do about it at this point point. and I think they've kind of hamstrung themselves because Brandon buys out for the season and you you don't have a true backup right back both of your backup right backs are guys playing out of position or Dewan Jones who can play right back pretty well and then leaving yourself with a whole left back
1: yeah I and I mean you you touched on on all those points and the fact that just fundamentally the lack of depth at those positions then has this knock-on effect where it bleeds out into other parts of your team where you have to kind of then move one piece over to account for another, but then that piece is out of position, you know, like Farrell moving to right back means that you're pushing Omar Gonzalez back into a starting role, which while, you know, and we can talk more about this, I am thrilled for Omar that he's kind of had like a little mini renaissance that's still in terms of the general results of the game has not necessarily been a good thing for the team because Omar even playing as well as he can is still, you know, a center back in his 30s who you're putting on an island because they play a high line, especially when last night when they fall behind uh, and you, you don't want that, that can lead to bad things. And then also just, you know, Dewan, I've always felt him playing on the right side is never, he's never been as impressive at all or as, you know, involved in the game as he should be as, as he is when he's on the left side. And yeah, it's just, you know, then what you have, as you said, also, I mean, Matt Polster has to come in sometimes to play right back and then that takes away your best Maybe your best still your number six, I think, and we can talk about you know the midfield as well later on. But I, I do think that um, you know Polster, uh, just anyone having to play over in that role for bye. yeah, it's it's just it just highlights how it was such a known issue that they could have maybe tried to make one more move to address, and that yeah, I mean, when I asked Kurt about that, he was very definitive that he said, "No, we're done." And and I understand maybe in the context immediately of the club with everything else happening that maybe you know the efforts to pushed to make one more signing weren't quite there but you know again that that kind of highlights why all of this was so damaging to the club is that you know moves that maybe should have been made weren't made down at the wire here and that's directly affecting the team on the field
0: yeah I, I'm, last night really is the perfect example because I I, I didn't think you know Andrew Farrell has at times filled in admirably I think he's only done it once before in the season at, at right back but this game I, I thought he looked pretty poor um I also thought Dewan Jones didn't really look himself in this game. I thought he had a bad game. You know, the the second goal was was his man kind of cut around him. The first goal, I don't want to put the blame on him, but I I thought he might have been the closest defender. Uh, to the goal scorer there and didn't really track the runner it, it looked like he was potentially tired from all the travel with the national team and I think again if you have better depth maybe this is a game where you give Dewan Jones a rest um, so you know even, even you know, when your starters are healthy it's sometimes nice to have depth when you're playing the worst team in the league where maybe you can give your left back who's just traveled with the national team a little bit of a break um, so I think there's a lot there that's kind of come back to, to bite the revs um, in particular in this game uh, but I there's nothing they can really do at this point other than what the, the options they have internally, because the roster freeze deadline has now happened. They made no moves to address the fullback issue. So <laughs> they're stuck with, with what they're stuck
1: with. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, as you said, you know, DeJuan, um, who is a player who I, you know, since I've been, um, you know, covering the team and really since I guess, you know, he's come into the team um, has been a player who I've enjoyed watching and who I've enjoyed watching develop significantly in his time. But yeah, certainly, not his best game. And yeah, that, that second goal, I'm sure he would want that back. And, and as you also said, I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I never fully know um, who to put blame on for a set piece unless it's sometimes very, very obvious, but like in that case, and maybe it was like one of two different guys. um, But um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, of course there was never a thought that they could rest him or that they could ever rest, you know, a player like Dave Romney um, who played well last night, but was also just, scrambling because that was just the nature of the game. You know, he was, again, like I said, put on an island many times um, just because of how they were trying to approach the game and especially when it started to go against them in the second half. So, you know, I mean, it also, you know, and we haven't mentioned this yet, but, um, you know, I don't think Earl Edwards was personally responsible for either of those goals individually, but you do also, there is the sort of implicit... Um, thought in the minds of anyone watching this team that like would George Petrovich have maybe made that save on the second goal and it's impossible to know and that would have been a really tough save either way but it is a thought in people's minds now and it's just like one additional part of this where you used to have rock solid guaranteed above average near MLS leading goalkeeper play and now you don't and again like that's an impossible task for Earl to come in and try to replace that he's doing the best that he can but uh, it is just one more thing where it's like you know you have one less layer of defense essentially, um, and yeah that that you know I don't know if that played a direct role but that was another in a series of factors that contributed to a defeat last night.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think Earl Edwards too, you know, he's done an admirable job, but there's been times where he's made some questionable decisions coming out on you know set pieces, not necessarily getting the ball every time, and you know he he hasn't been. Georgie Petrovic. Nobody's going to be Georgie Petrovic. Yeah. Um, but he he certainly hasn't been. He has made some good saves. I don't want to you know be too harsh on him. I think he's been a you know a decent keeper, but you've gone from, like you said, the best keeper in the league to a decent keeper. And I think this game in a couple of the past games too, there's been you know some goals that have gone in that, you know, you can't blame Edwards too much for, but if you had the best keeper in the league, <laughs> maybe maybe things go differently. Um, especially when you're you're know, talking about the defense being you know not not Full full par, it's great to have kind of that backstop behind you that can save you a goal or two in a game that you might have otherwise conceded. And, you know, I don't want to get too much into it because you've already covered it pretty well. But the other thing with the fullbacks, too, is, you know, even if Matt Polster is, you know, your right back and is doing a good job, you're not getting the same offensive contribution from him that you do from a Brandon By. And I do think this is a team that relied that has over the years relied pretty heavily on the fullbacks for offensive contributions you talked about you know the assist totals of Brandon Byn and Dewan Jones and their and their goal contributions you're not going to get that from Matt Polster at right back and so even if defensively he's solid it you know it does it does kind of limit your offense and make your offense a bit more predictable when you don't have that
1: contribution out of your right back too yeah yeah and um you know and i think also you you kind of saw it in in their build up play you saw how they struggled to really build out of the back in a way that they have made a pretty signature, um, you know, a pretty signature thing in in the last couple of years. Um, And you saw that, you know, like just the, the progression of the ball, you look at like who, who led the team in touches and passes. And other than Carlos, it's basically, you know, aside from maybe Mark Anthony K, it was a lot of guys along your back line. And that's just usually indicative of the fact that, okay, you know, you you were able to possess the ball and they had 61% possession and completed, 84% 84% of their passes as a team, which all looks good on paper. But the reality was that, you know, look at their final third passing. And I think it was below Colorado's last night. And that, you know, sort of showcased what was really the problem, which was they could keep the ball, but they couldn't move the ball into dangerous positions. And that is one area where you definitely miss, you know, a player like Brandon Bay getting forward and a player like Dewan, maybe when he's a little more locked in, uh, you know, getting forward and helping to, to create a little bit more. Because, the, you know, especially a player like Vrioni, who I'm sure we're going to get to, looked pretty isolated last night. So whatever problems you might have with him individually, there was a a collective issue in, in getting him the ball, I felt.
0: And this all sort of leads to what my takeaway is, which is that you know I also made the same takeaway I'm about to make now, about a month or two ago, and had the same had the same question. But now that there's only six games left in the season, it's a bit more concerning. There's six games left this year, and I still have no idea what the best lineup or formation is for this team. Uh, I don't think it's what we saw last night, um, but I don't know what it is. You know, one striker doesn't seem to be working with Rioni, but at the same time, now that you've brought in a guy like Chancelay. You're kind of designing yourself to play with wingers, right? So I, I I don't know, and it's been a kind of a question of mine throughout a lot of Bruce Arena's tenure. Is he's built a roster that is almost set up to play two different ways, and it's hard to get your best players in, a, in the field, um, in a, in a way that that works to their their strengths every game. So you know you have Carles heel who is. Arguably the best number ten in the league, unless we're well for counting Messi as a ten. I will, <laughs> no, but but outside of Messi, you have Carlos Heel, who is arguably the best number ten in the league. And when you have a number ten like him, you want him to be in the center of the field, right? And so if you're playing with two strikers, that really limits what formation you can use uh, to actually have Carlos Heel in the center of the field. So you can play a four four two diamond, which is narrow and usually doesn't involve wingers. Um, you can play a four three three. Uh, which again, you're ending up with one you know, they're, you, you're listing three fours, but you're really playing with one striker and two wingers, or, or you can look at that as a four five one, depending on how you want to look at it, or you could theoretically play a three five two or or five three two, depending on on how you want to fit that. But then either you're playing, you know, your wingers as fullbacks or you're not playing your wingers, right? So, uh, yeah. it, or, or wing backs, whatever you want to call it, you could you know half a dozen and one of you, whatever you want to call it. But I don't yeah. know what this team's best formation at this point to get everyone on the field because I don't think Rioni at one striker is working... Particularly well at least not in games like this maybe in games where you know the other team the game is a bit more open and the other team is attacking more and there's more space maybe that works when the revolution can kind of play the ball on the ground and, and find gaps in the defense but when they're a compact team like colorado it's clearly not working so i i, I just don't know at this point what the team's best formation is now i know seth Makehomer said it's probably a 4-4-2 but I, I don't know what that looks like right so let's mm-hmm. go back to 2021 when the revs won the supporter shield They played a very wonky formation that year. It worked, but I think probably their starting midfield was Matt Polster as your six, and then they had Tejan Buchanan as sort of your right center mid slash right wing, and because he's kind of a freak athlete that could cover a ton of ground, that worked. And then you had Tommy McNamara on the left side, who is a very, very different player than Tejan Buchanan, and that made your midfield very unbalanced. Um, and you had Carle's heel as your 10. So it worked and they won the supporter shield, not just playing that formation, but largely playing that formation. But I think because of that, there's a lot of thought that, you know, maybe they can do that again and have a wide guy and a diamond. I I, I just don't know that they have the personnel to do that anymore. I think that worked because you had Tejan Buchanan who could do just about everything and cover so much ground. I don't think Chonkley is that guy. I don't think Nacho Heal is that guy. And, I just I just don't know what that looks like, right? So yeah. I think, I think they, they have six games left to figure something out, but I I still have no idea what that, what that is, right? Because Gustavo Bowe's coming back at some point soon, we think, and then it probably makes sense to play two strikers, but then what do you do with, with Chonkley? Because I, I don't think you can play a 4-4-2 wide diamond that has two wingers and not get tor- torn apart in midfield. I just don't think you can. I think maybe you have what you did in 2021 and have kind of a unbalanced one where you have another center mid that's sort of playing on one of the sides and then a winger that uh, maybe you can find lightning in a bottle and do that again. I'm, I, 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 I'm really struggling to figure out how you get all your guys in the field in a formation that fits your your best players at the same time.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, and listen, as someone who was at the same sort of simultaneously confounded by and fascinated by their, formation in 2021, when they had that, as you said, that sort of asymmetrical 4-4-2 diamond, where Tejan, is he a center midfielder? Is he a right winger? Like, he was the only guy who could ever, that I've ever seen at any level, really almost pull off those combinations of two positions into one. And so, I think, assuming that anyone else can come in and replicate that is um, a little uh, aggressive, maybe. So, I think that, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Like, I don't, you know, I mean, the the thing about the 21 team also was that you know Gustavo is a very interesting player in that he is a forward who also can drop off and help you know combinations with the midfield. And you need someone like that if you're going to play that type of two striker setup. You need someone who can drop in. It does not appear like Rioni is that kind of player, even though I've seen him have plenty of technical ability. I know he makes smart runs. I mean, even last night, you look at some of the rare chances that they had, and I'm forgetting the exact one, but one of those was directly as a result of Rioni making a run and drawing defenders. And you see, he's, he's capable of that kind of intelligent positional play. And so, you know, I know that he has plenty of critics, especially after a performance like that last night where he was basically uninvolved for large periods of time. But um, you know, I, I don't use that as a way to dismiss him from being in the team. I think he has plenty of quality, but yeah, it definitely doesn't seem like he's, a lone nine, uh, or, you know, a lone striker that you can trust up front, but then, you know, yeah, the problem is, I mean, Nacho Hill has played really well. So what are you going to put him out of the lineup? Um, you know, obviously chunk is a player who they have high hopes for, but, uh, seems a little inconsistent. Like last night, he completed a lot of his passes, but other than that, didn't do that much, um, and was not super involved in, in the buildup really. So, you know, yeah. And then, you know, you bring on a player like Noel Buck and you're like, well, why wasn't he starting? But, you know, at the same time, I think all of this in my mind really just shows in a way how underrated Matt Polster has been for a little while in terms of just wearing so many different hats in the midfield for them, where they have a a guy who is ostensibly a number six, but also a guy who tracks forward a lot and is in a more box to box role sometimes. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, you know I'm I'm just listing guys here but it's just like they have so many pieces that they could potentially put into a lineup that while it's a good problem I always felt like with Bruce in in his tenure that that was kind of a thing he almost cultivated for a lot of the year it was like we just need a lot of guys and then at some point we'll just kind of figure it out and we you want that later in the season you don't want to play your best soccer or you figure it all out in May and then just sit on that for months you want to build to something but I'm not sure it really feels like they're building to something, obviously larger circumstances in the club, uh, playing a role in that. But even if it was all still the same setup and Bruce was still the coach and everything and everyone was still there, I still wasn't necessarily super confident that they had figured it out or were on their way to figuring it out because yeah, I mean, these performances from Brioni, um, and just the injuries to players like Gustavo just kind of going in and out of the team have, um, uh, fettered their, um, development towards finding a best 11 for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with all that. And really when you looked at how this roster was coming together towards the end of the season and the additions they made, and then even projecting the 2024, it really looked like they were set up to build or to play in a, a very, and, and now that you know, Bruce is gone, I think it's, you can't, you can't assume anything who knows, who knows what the next coach is going to want to do next year, but I, it seemed like they were building a good roster to play you know, a situation where you had Chankelai, Carles Heel, Dylan Barrero when he was healthy as kind of your front three of your midfield, and then that would almost have to be behind a lone striker. And on paper, you'd think that lone striker would be rioni but now it doesn't seem like that would really work because he's—he's you know, he's not particularly a good hold-up striker. He does do mm-hmm. some things really well. I, I again, I don't want to dismiss him either. I think when he's paired with another striker and in the right situation, we've seen he can score a lot of goals. Um, but you know assuming all those guys are back it almost seems like that was that would have made sense i don't Mm -hmm. think you can do that with two strikers because i think if you have you know chanclay Carlos heel dylan barrero and then you just stick matt polster behind them you're asking matt polster to do way more than one man can do (laughs) i think you you have to have another central midfielder whether it's you know a a k or buck or harks next to him and you can't do that with another striker so i i I mean this is i could go on forever (laughs) about this but you're you're right it's good it's a good problem to have in the sense that you know you have a lot of central midfielders that you can't necessarily all get on the field at the same time and you have some options there that's a good problem to have but it's a bad problem in the sense that i don't think they really have any striker that's a good option as a lone striker up top i don't think you know bobby wood might be the best option of a bunch of you know bad options and i'm not saying they're bad strikers I'm just saying as lone strikers they're not great options and so that's that's where I I don't know how this plays out but I think that's a big problem for the revolution because they've also tried a four-four-two you know standard diamond earlier this season where they were playing you know buck and uh, you know central midfield you know two central midfielders with, with blessing and buck and whoever else and that didn't really work either um so even if you were kind of to throw chocolate and nacho heel out the window and <laughs> leave them on the bench um and they have a lot of good you know in theory essential midfielders i don't think they really were able to get that to work either uh and that works even less well now that brandon Bay is out because when you're doing that you're requiring width from your fullbacks and you're not going to get that from from Polster or or Farrell, i think or at least not enough of it uh at this point so i i, I i'm kind of at a loss at how this team figures it out going into the playoffs and what that looks like. Uh, no matter what they do, good players are going to have to sit. And that, again, that's not necessarily, that part of it's not necessarily a bad thing. But if your best formation is, you know, a 4-3-3 three, three, or 4-5-1, and the only thing that's holding you back is you have a striker that doesn't fit it, that's a problem.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you you know, it's not like you, I don't think it's, if if Bo is healthy, you, you kind of have to play him too. That's not really a viable thing for a coach of this current, uh version of the revs to have a healthy Gustavo Bo and not play him. So obviously, and, ob- and and obviously I don't think that would happen if you had to pick between him and Vrioni, I think I was you know you pick Bo at this point. But yeah, I mean he's not a guy who likes to play up front by himself either. He's not a you know traditional sort of hold up play striker. Um so but yeah I mean if you go back to a two striker setup, which I feel they're sort of inevitably trending towards if Bo is healthy again. Then, yeah, I mean, as you said, I mean, what do you ditch the wingers? I think like you bring in, you yeah, know, you have Harks and I mean, theoretically, that lineup can come together. Like you could put together a lineup with Rioni, Bo up top, Carlos behind them is the 10 uh, Harks and maybe Noel Buck or Harks and Polster or Harks uh, or uh, Polster and Buck in there is like sort of uh, shuttling midfielders. And then K as the holding midfielder if you want to run that route and then the defense behind them. But yeah, I mean, as you're saying, like, then what? That means Andrew Farrell is your width on the right side if he's playing right back. Uh, that's that's not going to be a thing that really works unless you're trying to completely change your style of play, play a deeper defensive line, and try to grind some games out. But that doesn't seem like that's in the cards for this Reds team. So um, yeah, I'm not I'm not 100% sure. I think we're probably trending back towards some try-to-eat-their-cake-and-have-it-two setup where you have that sort of, asymmetrical formation where one of those midfielders is also nominally a winger. And that might be a Nacho Hill or a Chonklai. But um, I don't think that's a setup that uh, I, I have not seen it really used, I guess, even because we haven't seen too much of Bo and Brioni with Chonklai or Hill and, and that sort of setup in uh, the last couple of weeks. But I'm not sure if that's even its best version, something that's, that's going to work. But, you know, I mean, yeah, that's, usually it's good problems but i think yeah the again it all comes back to those injuries on the back line i think that is having a huge detrimental effect on the team as a whole because if By was healthy maybe you could run that setup but without him you can't yeah and
0: just one last point because I, I know we're gonna have to revisit some of this conversation and all the questions we got uh, but the, the only other thing i'll add is too is that you know a few years ago we did see a situation or a formation where carly's heel was kind of nominally your right-sided midfielder and the formation although he had you know plenty of freedom to cut inside and i don't i don't want to see them go back to that um, I think you lose a little bit of something when he's not in the center and he's you know, not quite as involved, but that actually worked when they did that because Brandon by made such good overlapping runs and provided the width and exactly. the two of them combined really well. So I don't even think that's an option anymore. I right. I, I don't like that option, even if Brandon by is healthy, but there's at least maybe some merit to finding a way to fit everybody on and, and do that and make him kind of your, you know, your nominal right wing guy that can cut inside. But I, I think right now that's not even an option. So <laughs> the 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 fullback problem uh limits, I think what you can do at this point on top of everything else,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know and of course, you know the 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 third the door three that you very briefly mentioned when we were talking about formations was you know sort of three back system, but of course, that is essentially completely out the window right now because even if Henry Kessler comes back, then like, what what are you going to play Farrell as the right wing back then with Kessler, Omar and Romney as a backline? Like that's, you're not at all close to your best 11 in, in that case, in my opinion, but that's too bad because that would in other circumstances, maybe be the viable solution to all of this where you switch to that, but that's not even an option right now. So really, yeah, they're looking at a bunch of four back formations where, uh, I am not entirely sure if you're ever going to find the best version of your best 11, because I don't really know what that is because I think like there's a whole just tranche of players right now of like your Harkses, Bucks, chonkalis Nacho Hills, etc. cetera, where you're like, and maybe even Boateng at different points will fit into that where it's like, are they a starter? Are they not a starter consistently? And you know what I mean? Even Polster and K are in that because you know, maybe they're competing for the same spot. So, uh, the, you know, the last couple of weeks, I mean, along with everything else happening, and I feel that's a sort of a blanket statement for the revolution at this point, along with everything else happening at the club, there is also the idea that, like, I feel like I'm farther away from knowing who is in the starting lineup and who isn't in, like, seven different guys' uh, cases. Yeah,
0: and with, and with six games left, that's not a lot of time to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but we, we got a lot of questions. And I think several of them will take us back to this conversation. And there's probably more we can add to it with those questions. But before we jump into listener questions, I want to take a minute to talk about the sponsor of this podcast, Glocko Kits. Glocko Kits is the go to place to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home. The passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders, and neither does the selection. And if you head to Glockokits.com today, you can get 15% off your order using the promo code REVSRECAP. That's REVSRECAP at checkout for 15% off your order. All right, we got got a lot here. Um, I'll start with one that's more tongue-in-cheek. Sunday Afternoon Fullbacks on Twitter says, is the We Won the Possession Battle tweet that the Revs sent out the single greatest troll job we have seen in in any Revs Twitter history?
1: (laughs) I mean... you know, in in a week of some tough uh, social media moments for the club, yeah, I mean that's it's not a it's not their best look. Um, you know, it's just. I don't know. They're trying to put any kind, not even a smile face, but just a face maybe on some of this stuff. And it's just, there's, there's no, there are no wins for them in, in that regard right now.
0: <laughs> uh, Adam McLean on Twitter said, I fell asleep after the first goal, then woke up to see the ending. But from what I saw, Chonkla didn't seem involved much. Notice he was already off when sweat and Tika Rivera came on. Did, did I miss something with
1: him? Can you talk about his performance? Uh, talk about Chonkla, you said? Yep. Uh, I mean, I think what I mentioned him earlier. And yeah, it's like, you know, I, to be honest, I I hate to agree with the guy who admittedly fell asleep during the game. But, you know, it's like, yeah, I guess he, he didn't really miss a whole lot there. I mean, he you know, he completed most of his passes. I think he had over 90%. And so you're like a, a main criticism that I guess I would have had with him in previous games in terms of losing the ball more than maybe he should have. Um, you know, he, he doesn't seem to um find the game in the same way that I think Nacho Hill was last night a little bit. Um that's not all his fault certainly. I mean like there's only so much you can do if the ball is just literally on the other side of the field. Um but uh yeah, in terms of making a difference in the team, you would want someone like that to be um taking chances. He did I think have one or two shots but was largely yeah, uninvolved.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think from his involvement against Austin, you know, however long ago that was now that you were you had high hopes for him and you expected him to be a lot more involved in the offense than he was so it was kind of a disappointing performance i don't think he necessarily did anything you know egregiously wrong i just don't think he was as involved as you would have liked to have been but you're you're right he has his consistency with him we haven't seen it yet and and some to some extent it's understandable he hasn't been here that long you know he hasn't he's he's shown some really good flashes like that austin game um but it it takes time to build chemistry and everything to work out but yeah it wasn't it wasn't A great performance from him.
1: I think, um, honestly, you know, maybe this is kind of a take, but I honestly, I don't think he should be starting right now because I think like, you know, especially with everything else, again, I'm saying this again, I feel like it should be like a drinking game with everything else happening in the club. Like, you know, I I think you shouldn't be looking to a guy like that. Who's only been here a little while to try to like make the difference for you in these kind of important games. I think you should be trying to face him in a little bit more. And so maybe that you know, if they were going with that, maybe that would help provide a little clarity in the lineup. But I think they are just kind of I don't know, throwing stuff at the board right now and seeing what sticks, including, hey, we signed this Argentinian guy who maybe can score some goals. So let's get him in there. And I feel like that just yeah, it's just it's proving out the way that I thought it would with just like some games he's involved and looks great. Other games, he's not at all. And you really don't necessarily know he's on the field.
0: And Adam, on Twitter, Adam McLean on Twitter also asked, How do you feel about the substitution timing and player choice? He says he was surprised to see both Ben Sweat and Tico Rivera, but no Boateng. I was also
1: surprised. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, um, you know, I, I think that I'm always a little bit surprised. I think it's just because Esmir looks like super young. So when I see him getting subbed in, I know who he is, obviously. And I've seen him play enough times now that I'm like, Yeah, he's a real professional player. He can play at this level. But I was just like, wait, what? Who we bringing in? <laughs> you know, just like, what's the what the decision? But you know, then of course, I honestly thought Esmere came on and played pretty well, um, or as well as someone could, again in sort of the circumstances. I thought Buck came on and played pretty well, um, and honestly, you know, Tico Rivera, you know, he came on. I think like he was just, you know, he, maybe he just wasn't um, fully ready for the moment. There were a couple mistouches there. Um, you know, I'm always like, is, do we not have, maybe it would Boateng maybe not be a better call in that moment. But, um, you know, I think also when they were making those subs, was that I'm trying to remember if that was one or two, nothing down, but, um, I, I you know, think when, always...
0: I think when the, um, I, I think when the, oh, actually no, all, all the subs came after it was two, nothing. I take it back. The, the, the Buck and, and Esmir sub came right after the minute after the second goal happened. So all the, all the subs were post the second goal
1: you know, so by that point, I mean, what, you're already chasing the game pretty hard. And so, you know, those subs are coming on to just try to do something miraculous, which it's a little tough to grade them. But yeah, I mean, just some of the choices. Yeah. I mean, Ben Sweat coming on. I mean, again, like by that point, you're already down multiple goals. Why are you not throwing on a player who maybe adds a little more offensively? Um, You know, no disrespect to Ben Sweat. You know, he's out there obviously trying his best, but it's just, you know, situationally, maybe not the guy. Yeah. I don't, you know, I mean, I, I thought like, they, they, things that already kind of played out a little bit, like if you wanted to impact subs, maybe you would have done that before it got to two, nothing would be, I guess, my main takeaway from that.
0: Yeah, I I agree with all that. And on top of that, though, I would say, you know, they were, like you said, they were chasing the game. They were down two nothing. All of the subs that they made were on paper, like for like subs, right? It was a center mid for a center mid, a fullback for a fullback, um, you know, different players. They're very different characteristics from the players that they brought on, but they didn't really throw everything at the wall in the sense that you know they waited. I know we got another question from somebody about why did it take so long to get to get Bobby Wood on. So uh, shout out to whoever asked that. <laughs> I probably won't bring it up again. Um, but Bobby Wood, Veroni was having a difficult time getting into the game. Why did they wait till the 77th minute to bring on Bobby Wood? And when you're down to nothing. Maybe you bring on Bobby Wood as a second striker instead of taking out your striker, right? It, it did seem kind of conservative substitutions in a game where you're down to nothing, and that they you know, didn't really change up the formation very much. They just, I mean, they pushed more guys forward, to be sure. That's why they kept getting stretched at the end. But they, the subs were for the most part kind of like for like subs.
1: Yeah, and it looked like you know to that, like it kind of looked like for most of the game, Colorado just in their basic marking had everything accounted for, you know, like they didn't, they weren't really bothered by anything that the revs were doing in terms of movement or in terms of passing, like every, every single time that they either pressed or tried to just even contest the ball, it looked like they, you know, there was no sort of, you know, off marking that, you know, they had to worry about or any kind of, you know, anything the Rebs were really doing that really put them under uh serious pressure just in terms of the, the game plan or the formation. And then, yeah, those subs, you know, as you said, it was like, for like, they just, you know, one striker for the next. I think part of the problem is that Bobby Wood is not someone who is going to come on and be super different in sort of, or compliment Brioni. Uh, I think when we've seen them play together, it seems like they almost sort of make the same runs and they, they both kind of play the same way. Uh, Bo is the guy who you'd be like, yeah, maybe you bring him on and, and he could drop a little deeper and provide another element to something that brioni's doing. So maybe that was the thought process in terms of why they didn't want them both on at the same time. But again, yeah, I mean, as I said, like, you're down two nothing in a game that you kind of well, you don't need to win. But like, obviously, it, it hurts you to do anything other than win in a playoff race. So why not just go for it and just throw them at it? But, um, you know, I guess uh, Clint PA in his first game just kind of went with maybe a plan there to try to keep the shape the same. And, you know, what we saw was, yeah, just a lot of um, possession without a lot of uh, generating of chances.
0: Yeah, and, and the last thing I'll say here, and if you're following me on Twitter, I was hammering, why is, why is Boateng not coming into this game? Um, I, I get, or at least I could justify Esmir coming on before Boateng. I think Esmir and some of his recent appearances has has looked good, and I thought he looked pretty good in this game. So that yeah. that doesn't bug me that much. Uh Rivera over Boateng. I don't understand that. I, you know, I not to hammer on Rivera. He's had his moments for the Revs, but Boateng has been a guy that you know you bring on in the 70th minute, and he's been lightning in a bottle for the Revs a lot of times over the years when they've been down a goal. He's provided that spark. He's got a ton of pace. You're going against a team in Colorado that's been playing really hard at altitude, tired legs. He's got more pace than, than Rivera. You know, he's got the experience. He's been consistent as far as his ability to cross the ball out of the box. You're throwing numbers for Omar Gonzalez is up the field late. I I don't understand that. And then okay, even if Rivera has looked really really good in practice, and I saw somebody throw out the theory as you know Clint Pierre was coaching Revs too. He saw a lot of Rivera. He saw a lot of Esmir. You know, maybe he felt more comfort there. But even if we you know take all that, give him the benefit of the doubt, what is the point of bringing Ben Sweat on in the 86th minute? When you're down to nothing, I, I, that I don't, I don't get. You know, why not throw caution to win, bring on a speedy guy and and Boateng? I just don't know what the point of bringing Ben Sweat on is, unless you're, you know, concerned about goal differential. But even that, I don't think Ben Sweat is that good of a defender.
1: <laughs> yeah, that that that's a sub that honestly felt like, uh, you know, and I don't have anything to obviously verify that this is just me talking, but that kind of just felt like a sub of you know, we've been in charge of the team for a couple of days. We have a couple, we have a preset plan of subs, maybe that we'll run through. And this is maybe one of them Um, because yeah, I I, I can't really work out a reason for it. Maybe other than that, because as, yeah, exactly. As you said, I mean, who cares at that point? Like, you know, your defensive solidity has already been pierced twice and you're down two nothing. Who cares about like, you know, preventing a third goal at that point, you want to try to impact the game going forward and, and Ben sweat, you know, much as he might try valiantly for that, is not going to do it in the same way that that Boateng would. All
0: right, we will switch to some positive questions. The one the one player that came out of this game. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, more positive comments than questions. But the one the one player that came out of that game, looking somewhat good, uh, Omar Gonzalez. Uh, Chad Crush on Twitter says Omar is back, and I'm here for it. Steve McGrogan on Twitter says, heroes aren't born, they are cornered. And Carly's heel <laughs> cornered Omar tonight, so at least there's that. Uh, Eddie Heppner on Twitter said, Omar's redemption arc, love that. Also, really wish we utilized the late Omar run more. It feels like most of the time he and Romney just chill central. Um, obviously, Omar's run on, on set pieces was effective in this one when he got the chance. I, I I don't know if there's anything to add to any of that, but yeah, it was it was a good night for Omar Gonzalez. And I'll, I'll go out and say... I thought Omar was done after last year and his redemption arc this season and his, his ability to be a useful player and, you know, look pretty good doing so um, was not something I expected this year. So if we want to take one positive from the game, I think that's a fair one.
1: So I actually had sort of two, well, it's, I don't know, two positives. The first one I guess would be Omar uh, in that I think beyond also any of his contributions uh, directly on the field or in the game, or just, I guess playing in the game is that, He's just, you know, he's a natural leader um, around the team. And especially at a time like this, like you want to have guys like that and you want to have guys like that on the field and trying to lead. And he was doing all that, you know, like you could see his demeanor was at the the start of the second half. It looked like, you know, he was kind of smiling and they were trying to get guys excited. And, um, you know, that's those are all things that, you know, that that's why Omar was brought in here, probably, you know, to provide a veteran Uh, leadership and, and he's, he's doing that. And then obviously, you know, leading by example, scoring a a late goal last night, where if they, you know, maybe things gone a little bit different and they'd only conceded once, that would have been a much more dramatic goal because it would have been an equalizer. And that would have been a better moment for him. I felt that even when they put him on an Island last night, which they did quite a bit, especially in the second half, uh, he actually, you know, held together as well as he could. It's just that, look, he's just not um, he's not, the right type of player for that system just fundamentally because he's not that fast at this point in his career. I don't think he was ever really that fast at any point in his career, but especially now it's, you know, one or two steps slower, but you know, he's doing the best that he can, but he's just not the right guy for that system. So it is a little worrying every single time that they have to start a player like him because just the way that they inherently play with a higher line, like that's a player who is always going to be, it's going to be a little bit of a gamble um, running with someone like that. But yeah, I mean, as far as his overall sort of, mini renaissance uh, you could call it in the last, you know, this, this season really um, I've enjoyed that because anytime you spend time around Omar um, or, you know, having gotten to talk to him a little bit, you know, he, he seems like a guy who is very positive, very upbeat, someone who's very good presence in in the team and someone who, especially right now uh, you, you do want to be, you know, involved with the squad. So happy for that. I will say the other sort of positive takeaway was just a more general sense or the last more of a trend, I guess, is Nacho Hill continues to be, pretty impressive to me in isolated moments. He didn't have a great game last night, but then again, no one really did. Um, So I'd say that just his ability to keep the ball and uh, his ability, obviously to work with Carlos and to just keep things moving um, and to come back into midfield and try to connect play between uh, midfield and attack is, is something that they need more of. And so I hope that whether he continues in the starting role or is like a super sub or whatever that, you know, they, they keep him around for a little bit because you know, he he was injured for a long time, but now that he's in the team, I I, I must say, you know, I I didn't necessarily see this coming from him, but I've been um, a little bit impressed with him.
0: Yeah, all very good points. And just back to Omar quickly, you you can never question the off the field stuff from him. Even last year when things were going really poorly on the field for him, you, know, you heard nothing but good things from the young players in the team about his mentoring, about the you know his leadership skills. So it's nice to see that you know a guy that's doing the right things off the field is now is now doing some of the right things on the field as well. Um, it's, yeah. it's it's a it's a good. Feel a feel good story during a not a very feel good time for the reps. Yeah. Um, and on a not so feel good story, we're going back to Giacomo Rioni, who we've got lots of. Not so positive questions and comments about, uh, I guess unsurprisingly. Um, Matt Clayman on Twitter says, Do you think Rioni has played his best yet, or is there something still to unlock in him? He's had a few good games, but a lot of times he's just floating out there with little participation in the action as a lone striker. Uh, OT Daddy on Thread says, Why is Rioni as useless as a speed bump on a runway? Uh, we have a lot more specific Rioni questions, but I guess we'll we'll start, take a break here, and then jump to those. But do you think Rioni has played his best yet, or is there still something left that the Rebs have not unlocked?
1: Oh, yeah, there's absolutely. So much more to his game, I think. Um, now, I don't necessarily agree with the idea that it's just on the revs to unlock that. I think obviously, you know, there's a lot internally with any player uh, in unlocking their own best self. And I think for whatever reason, Vrioni himself has not maybe reached that stage. But yeah, I, I do think that uh, there's a level that he can be at that just uh, collectively the revs have not maybe put him in position to unlock. So yeah, I think it's it's a bit of both. But I I, I definitely. I think there's another level to his game for sure.
0: Yeah, and, and then we have some of the potential excuses for him. Um, Eddie Heppner on Twitter says, I think our system is really isolating our striker too much. You you, you mentioned that on um, the, the last game of particular last night. Uh, he said Vrioni makes good enough runs, but it seems like they can always just throw two on him and keep numbers back. And then Teal Forever says, why can't Vrioni perform at a one striker system? Why are we still trying it?
1: I mean, that's that's a fair question. Um, I think that you know, if there has been anything that we've seen is that uh, th- this season is that there's probably been enough evidence for whatever else to conclude that that's not his best um, role. But you know, he's also sort of been like the revs as a whole, been you know beset by all these injury problems. Obviously, Bo being out of the team for weeks at a time is never a good thing for the revs or Rioni, however you want to break it. Um, and yeah, I think. You know, the, just, it seems like his natural inclination is to make these, like, you know, sort of long arc, wide-sweeping runs a lot of the time. And that's a very good, you know, uh, notion for a forward. But it also has to sort of fit into the more tactical, the lower-level tactical, um, you know, sort of habits of the team. And with Carlos, I mean, like, we've seen Carlos ping really great balls in for Vrioni at different points in previous games this season. And uh, that system does work every once in a while. But it's still a pretty... Low percentage play, and that sort of felt like their best route to attack for part of last night's game, which is not good. Um, so I, I would like to see more from him trying to check to and maybe you know play the ball to feet more. But um, yeah, I'm not you know I'm not really sure what he's being told or what their sort of established game plan is. But it does seem like his he has a natural tendency to try to you know, go for the sort of over the top home run shot or, or want that played to him. Um, but that's just simply you know, he has to realize like that that ball's not on most of the time, even with a player uh, like Carlos.
0: Yeah, I agree with all that. And as far as the last question is why they're still trying it, I think it goes back to, to my takeaway is that they you know, they have a, a rest of a team that probably fits that formation and a striker that doesn't. So I think they're trying to force it to find a way for it to work. And at some point, you got to try something else. And I think you're getting to that point. <laughs> um, yeah. Josh Gley on Twitter says, to be clear, I'm not a Rioni hater, but did he do anything good at all this game? And if not, why do we keep playing him? Is it just because Bobby Wood is still recovering? I think you saw
1: some a couple positives from him last game, right? What Did he do anything good? <laughs> Yeah, I mean like I said it's it's not helping his cause that I can't remember this specific moment and the I think it may have been a nacho hill chance on goal but you know it was it was purely as a result of Rioni making a run near post and then you know the ball allowing uh you know the ball moving I think back post that might have been a nacho's shot to the back post um, sorry there's a there's a train going by my apartment um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah I think um You know, that he he did like isolate little moments like that, but largely, yeah, it was it was not a good day, um, for him. And also just I mean, you see that in terms of um, you know, the just his his sheer or lack thereof of involvement. I think like, you know, no buck came on, Esmir came on, bunch of other players, you know, they all had more touches in the game than Giacomo did. Granted, they're playing different positions, but um uh, yeah, he just you know, for whether that's necessarily all his fault or whether that's you know a, a problem of the revs in terms of how they move the ball, they're just not getting him the ball. Um, and and the fact that your striker is not involved in the game is obviously probably a sign that you lost that game.
0: Yeah, and and do you think it has anything to do with Bobby Wood still recovering from injury, or do you think he's he's back by now, and it's purely a you know preference choice to get Rioni out there. And a quick shout out, it was, it was Roberta voter who were asked earlier about why they took so long to get Bobby Wooden. So thanks for that question
1: that we already answered. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Well, I mean, you know, I think I haven't heard anything specifically about Wood's injury status. I assume that he is healthy. Um, I don't think we've seen anything um, that he is not in the last at least week or so, but again, it's, it's been a, a unusual week again. So, you know, it's like, maybe I, maybe I missed that. I don't believe so, but yeah, I think at this point it's purely tactical and you know, I, he's Giacomo Vrione is a designated player. Like he should, in theory, be starting absolutely over, you know, Bobby Wood as, as much as I've enjoyed Bobby Wood's redemption arc this season. um, You know, I think like nominally you want your designated players to be starting. So I understand that that's probably a tactical move. um, And that, in its best version, it works because Frioni has the talent and the ability to be that kind of player, but just, yeah, they, they just haven't been able to get him the ball and, and really unlock him, I guess was the term we were using in terms of um, him playing his best ball. And, it, and,
0: you know, it's only been three games since he last scored a goal and it was the game winner in the last game they won. So it's not like he's, I mean, it's been a rough few games, but it's not like he's been, you know, completely useless to the team this season. He had that hat trick in league's cup. He's, he's had his moments. I um, I think, Craig Johnston, I think, pointed out that he still hasn't scored a goal on the road, which is a bit <laughs> troubling. Um, but you know, maybe also just
1: indicative of the fact that he just still hasn't played like that many games. I want to say, um, I could be um, a little bit wrong on that at this point, but it just it continues to sort of feel like that anyway um, uh, with the Revs, where it's like you know they they just haven't had consistency with uh, those guys up front, you know, with Bo being out for long periods of time as well. So it's just um, it doesn't feel like we've seen enough of him or seen enough of him playing alongside some of the guys that you would want him playing alongside. Yeah.
0: Uh, Jose Franchino Dino on Twitter says, why are the Revs addicted to playing a 4-3-3? For the past three years, they've been most successful when they played two strikers up top. If Clint is just going to run back with the Richie Williams Youth Soccer 4-3-3, we can call it the season over. I-, I think we've covered this pretty thoroughly. I don't know if you have anything else to add.
1: Yeah, I mean... I, I think, uh, you know, we, we covered that in the entire section where we really talked about how we don't know what their best 11 is. And I think that probably extends to the Revs coaching staff at this point in their heart of hearts, although that's obviously changed over multiple times in the last week. So, yeah, I think, yeah, it's they're still playing 4 3, three because, as we said, like, you know, your sort of recent strategy has mirrored that with using Chancolai and Nacho Hillmore, But. Um, and currently, I guess the roster, you know, you'd want to have at least one striker, maybe still on the bench. But yeah, I, I do question a little bit. I mean, especially with the you know, the inability to create consistent chances in the last few games, for sure. Yeah, uh,
0: Alden on Twitter says,
1: why is Noel Buck not starting? K or, or
0: Anthony, Mark Anthony K and John are Ian Harks better. Uh, can we not fit uh, Noel K Harks, and Carlace into central spots?
1: Well, I mean, then that then if we did that, then uh, uh, that would necessitate, you know, a change in formation. So then you're, you know, you're telling jean and Nacho Hill that like, okay, we're, we're changing the makeup of our team, essentially, um, unless you wanted to play one of those guys sort of in a, I don't know, sort of like a two, like alongside Hill in an attacking midfield role with still only one lone striker. But you know, that's really getting into uh, very interesting football manager territory level of like creative formation. Um, and I don't think they're going to do that, but I mean, yeah, I, I, will also ask like, you know, do we necessarily think, uh, Mark Anthony K is better than Polster in that role? Do we think Harks is necessarily better than Buck in that role? I think like they've answered those questions def- you know, in affirmatively at, at times, but I haven't seen it enough to like definitively conclude that. So yeah, there you know there there are plenty of guys with a, a a shout for a starting job, but just um, haven't other than a couple of very notable you know exceptions like Carlos um, really answered that consistently in my opinion.
0: And I think No Buck and Matt Polster, when they had a run together as kind of your two essential midfielders at your six and their eight, played really really well and complemented each other really well and built some good chemistry pretty quickly where, you know, one of them would go forward. The other one would stay back and they were kind of on the same page and, and played really well together. And we haven't really had a chance to see that much lately. Uh, but I, I'm not at all convinced that, you know, K and Harks are a better option there than Polster and Buck. Uh, I just don't know that we're going to get much opportunity to see that now because of the right back situation, which is, I think, really unfortunate. But I, I think it's quite possible that your, you know, your best option, um, you know, is Polster and Buck instead of K Hark's. And I don't want to, you know, not, not to say that I think Ian Hark's has been a great player for the revolution. So I'm not, it's not a negative on him. Um, maybe this last game wasn't his best, but I think overall, he's been a great player for the revolution. I think K has, you know, done better than I expected for the revolution. I didn't have too high hopes for him, but I thought he's been a, a solid player for the revolution. Um, you know, and, and, this is an area where it's nice that they have in theory, have some depth and can rotate uh, when Matt Polster's not playing right back. But I'm not at all convinced that Ian Harks and Mark Anthony K should be starting over Polster and Noel Buck because I think Polster and Noel Buck played really well together and found ways to, you know, contribute offensively, defensively, and, and make the right runs while the other one stayed back. And, you know, I, I would like to see that get an opportunity again. I just don't know that we're going to see that because it's, probably Matt Polster is your best right back option on the team right now. Um, and that to me is, is really unfortunate. But, you know, back to the the original question is, if you're going to try to fit all those guys into the field in central spots, you're playing a 4-4-2 standard narrow diamond. And then, you know, like you said, you, you, you just brought in Chonkley for, you know, a decent amount of money and potential to bring him back as a you know, DP or not a DP, depending on who you believe next year. Um, and you probably want to see what he can do. And it, it I don't know. It's... It, it, it all goes back to our original takeaway, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I mean, um, you, you brought up a very good point with uh, you know, what we saw from Polster and Buck, and I I, yeah, I agree. Like when they were together, um, you know, you saw Buck sort of mirroring what Tommy McNamara did in a way, in a very different way uh, because they're very different players. But just in 2021, when you had that asymmetrical formation, what you were asking of those two midfielders was essentially to play as holding midfielders, but also play as occasionally box-to-box central midfielders and it's very very difficult to understand the timing um, of that and how to walk that line and like I said earlier you know I mean Polster just wears so many hats for the team and he's he's constantly an unsung hero because as much as I've enjoyed uh, Mark Anthony K's ability as a holding midfielder I think he had the second most touches of anyone in the team last night other than Carlos you saw him completing a lot of passes and you saw him just you know pretty consistently popping up in the right place at the right time to recover possession, which is exactly what you want from a holding midfielder. He doesn't necessarily have the same ability to go forward as Polster does. And I think, especially working with a player like Carlos, you always want players like that who can maybe trade off and go forward and catch the defense off guard because Carlos is going to find guys like that when they make runs. And, um, you know, you, you lose a little bit of that unpredictability, which can be a good thing in an attacking sense. Uh, when it's K in there instead of Holster. Yeah, I
0: completely agree. Um, On the Revs-style tactical conversation, Eddie Heppner on Twitter says, if you had to point out a Revs-style of play for the last five years, could you? It feels like we have the same structure and tactical weaknesses as the Bruce days, but his great man man management is now gone.
1: Well, I mean, I I think what... So the question is, if you could point out what their sort of basic philosophy tactically has been the last five years, I think it would be you want to, you know, you have attacking fullbacks, uh, you, you play with a traditional number 10 and then everything else is kind of just vibes, baby. And, uh, that was, that's kind of the Bruce, uh, that was kind of Bruce ball. And then it was just, you know, winning a lot of one goal games, uh, in which you might not necessarily have the advantage in XG at the end of it, but which you found a way to win because you spent all your money on designated players who can, who can score goals. And, um, And yeah, I mean, as we were talking about, that didn't even always necessarily make sense in terms of just building the framework of a team when you had, you know, you had, you've always had two designated player uh, forwards or strikers and then Carlos. And so ostensibly you're playing with a sort of, you know, that sort of frontline trio, but like, how are you going to fit all those guys in the team? And yeah, I mean, even now, like we don't necessarily know how the best way to do that is even with the the latest iteration of that with the uh, Vrioni bow Bo and Carlos, instead of what it was earlier with books and Bo and Carlos. And so, yeah, you know, I mean, Bruce ball was, yeah, it was just like sign attacking quality, have attacking fullbacks, and then just kind of figure it out in the midfield a little bit and have a really good goalie, I guess, you know, which was fortuitous. Um, so, you know, without, you know, I think, as we are saying, like part of it is you don't have Bruce anymore with man management, but part of it is also just other factors. Like you don't have the best goalie in MLS now for the first time in however many years. And, um, you know, you're, you're one of your best, one of your outside backs is now hurt for the rest of the season. So they're, you know, sort of hampering factors there that go beyond just a coaching change as well, I guess would be my point. But, um, the style of it is just, it's very attacking and it's very reliant on a number 10, um, would be, uh, the most distilled version, I think.
0: Yeah. I, you summed it up much better than I could. So I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, it's, I mean,
1: it's hard cause it's not <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, it was just a lot of, a lot of details, TBD in there for a long time with Bruce. <laughs> um, Ro-
0: Roberta voter on Twitter says, is it just me? Or is DeJuan Jones seems to be slower than previously. Is he playing heart?
1: I mean I I we don't I haven't seen or heard anything to that effect I think it's maybe just also fatigue over a period of time I mean he's you know he's he's worked his way into the national team setup and you know he was playing for them and and that's outstanding for him I think even a couple of years ago I would not have thought that that would have been a thing for him and so I think everyone's thrilled for him to have that but I think it also comes with obviously an increased um demands on your uh, conditioning and whatnot, and your, you know, ability to play multiple games and to travel and to do all those things that, um, people just take for granted if you're a fan, but that's really hard in real life to just do that and to just show up and then just turn it back on for your club team. And sometimes you see, you know, issues with that. I don't think it's something that I worry about with DeWan really at all, though. I'd expect, you know, by next game, he'll be back to playing well. I think it's also just, you know, he's working in circumstances that are, um, a little less familiar in terms of like, you know, they've had a lot of turnover in terms of players and whatnot. I mean, he developed a very good rapport with him boatang but Boateng hasn't really been in the team as much recently. And so um, I don't think he's maybe formed up the same partnership yet with kali but that's neither of their fault. They just haven't played enough together. So I think I'm not worried about dewan I think it was just kind of a tough night for him.
0: Yeah. and I mean, he had a, difficult week too and on top of all the drama with the revs he was called up to the national team what on like monday um <laughs> for a game on tuesday in minnesota so I, I don't know maybe he flew out sunday and we just didn't hear about someone that's probably probably likely uh but anyways he was called up last minute flew out to minnesota played in that game not as, as a sub not as a starter but then came out you know, had to fly fly i don't know, I don't know if we flew back to foxborough and then flew to colorado or what they did but uh either way that's a lot on, a, on a somebody and i thought he looked fatigued in this game i, I don't think he looked 100 percent but I'm, I'm not worried about it long term. But I, I, you know, his first touch wasn't as good in this game as sometimes we've seen it. And, you know, maybe he couldn't catch up to some of the balls usually he could. But I, I think I think it's just a fatigue thing more than anything else, like you said. Uh, and I think it'll work its way out. But, it, you know, going back to my earlier point, if they had more full back depth, this is a game that maybe you rest Ramon Jones in and give him a little bit of a break. Um, but they, they just don't have that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Josh and I on Twitter says with six games left this season and 13 points separating the Revs from ninth place DC, how far could you see the Revs squad slip? And where are we at on the panic button? <laughs>
1: uh, I feel like I am. I am always doesn't matter the, the year or the circumstance. I feel like I'm always last to the panic button um, just based on my reaction to what I see on social media. I'm always just kind of like, you know, I think they'll And, and I guess, you know, I guess that sets up my answer for this, which is I'm not panicking yet. I think um, uh, emphasis on yet. I think there is a a possibility for this to go very south because they're, you know, look, just with everything that's happened within the club, it's a pretty impossible task to ask these guys to come out and just play seamlessly like nothing else has happened and like nothing else is going on. That's, you know they're human beings that's impossible to do so i'm not super surprised i wouldn't be surprised if there was a little more of a slip and honestly just given the proximity of so many other teams to them in the standings it's not asking for like a monumental collapse for them to fall a bunch of places in the standings anyway um i just think that yeah there's a possibility for a bigger slide yeah because you know you look at their schedule uh you know like um Charlotte and Columbus and you know Chicago coming up none of those games. I mean all the way through the end of the year with Philly None of those games are guaranteed wins and as we saw last night I mean in MLS I mean as infuriating or maddening as it can be sometimes in this chaotic league no game is really a guaranteed win So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, that's it's all kind of on the line for them But of course having said that if results had gone differently and they won last night I mean, I forget the exact set of circumstances, but they could have clinched a playoff spot. So Um, it is kind of a microcosm for MLS and that, like, you know, you're always one game away from maybe clinching a playoff spot or you're one game away from a club crisis or whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, um, I think they'll stabilize and, and be okay. I I think the fact that, um, you know, with all their injury problems, Carlos is not among those people. As long as that is the case, I would give them a chance to maybe even win MLS cup. But I think at this point, I think it's realistic to just say like, they're probably heading for like, you know a mid seed. Uh, Maybe they can hang on to, you know, one of the higher seeds, I guess. But um, I definitely don't see them ending as the second seed um, or obviously progressing and catching Cincinnati. I don't think anyone will. Um, But yeah, I think I'm not pressing the panic button. This is a very long winded (laughs) answer to that question to say I'm not panicking. But um, I do think, yeah, there's a possibility they could tumble a little bit, though, for sure.
0: Yeah. If if I was to put a number on it, you know, looking at standings right now, they're only Three points above Atlanta. Revs are in third now, but they're only three points above Atlanta in sixth. So right. they're eight points above Nashville in seventh. I would be surprised if they fell the seventh. I would yeah. not be surprised if they fell the sixth. So if I was to put a number on how far they might fall, I'd say sixth uh, is, is how far they might fall. If they fall more than six, uh, things have gone really bad.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that scenario is out there. You know, I mean, like they're on to their third coach this season. Um, Clint, you know, could be a good um, coach at an MLS level. We don't know that yet. And he's being put into a, an extremely difficult situation here, sort of just totally unprompted. So, you know, there's plenty of scenarios where I don't know, they do fall into a crisis. But yeah, if I had to agree, I'd say six is probably as far as it goes.
0: Yeah. Uh, Tail Forever on Twitter says, I think the Revs have looked better in set pieces, especially corners right now. Am I grasping for hope in a void of doom? <laughs>
1: Well, they did give up a goal on a corner last night, so that's not all good. Um, I'm going to and... take this to
0: mean offensive set pieces because I don't think they've looked good. De- I don't. I would. I would go right out there and say I do not think they've
1: looked good defensively on set pieces. <laughs> right, and so that's you know I sort of always include those one and the other in terms of set piece. You know how you're attacking and also defending set pieces because, uh, in you know, they're similar sort of uh, setup. But yeah, I mean, yeah, they've definitely looked better um, attacking. I think that you know uh what i well so not just on corner kicks but also yeah set pieces i mean mark anthony k hit the crossbar in the first half on a Carlos uh free kick yep and so yeah i mean certainly i mean that's another reason why you want someone like k in the lineup is he's a bigger guy or a taller guy and he can definitely get to a set piece and then anytime you have omar in the lineup i mean you need to try to take advantage of that because that is his absolute best attribute still as it's always been um and so, yeah, I mean, you know, that that's a thing that if you're looking for silver linings, you know, yeah, they have looked a little better, a little more threatening, um, at least attacking on set pieces.
0: Yeah. And it, it seems like they found a better way to utilize Omar on set pieces in this game too. Um OT Daddy on Thread says, why does Carlos heel take every free kick in corner instead of ever setting up at the top of the
1: 18? Well, I mean, you know, I think you want your best. I think it's just a simple thing. Like who who is going to be better than Carlos at delivering the most important part of that sequence, which is the, you know, the initial, you know, cross into the, into the box. I think you want your most skilled, your best player on that. And Carlos is that. So I think, you know, honestly, don't overthink that.
0: I also don't think Carlos is finishing from the run of play you know, is that amazing. You know, I I don't think if you set him up at the, you know, 20 yards out from goal and, and give him a pass that we've seen him do something amazing from there. But I just, I, I think, you know, to take away your best sespe- set, your best set piece taker to put him in that spot, thinking that he's going to get a dangerous shot off. I think, I just don't think, I think that's one aspect of his game that from the run of play, I don't think his finishing is necessarily, you know, consistently that good. Uh, especially from distance. So I, I, to me, that I, I get the comment, but I think maybe you're kind of looking at some of his recent good shots, and, and you know, career-wise, I just don't think that's necessarily where he's at his best. So... Um. Yeah, but I, I, the one thing I will say is I I haven't always loved Carles' heels corner kicks. Uh, they were good, I, I think, in this game. But there's been times where I think Gustavo Bo has taken better corner kicks from him. Um, and if Gustavo Bo was out there, I could see maybe every once in a while switching things up. But I don't. I with Gustavo Bo, I don't even know who would take your corners when with, with,
1: with. Well, with and also with Bo, I mean, you're looking for a guy at the top of the box. That's I mean, true we've too. Seen- <laughs> We've seen Carlos, you know, that was Bo's first ever goal for the Revs. was a goal directly off a set piece where he just lobbed it up to the top of the box and, and Bo hammered it in. And so, I mean, he's the guy that you would want in that position. But yeah, I mean, I agree. Carlos is, you know, is, uh, is set piece, uh, delivery has, is not always been on point, but you know, last night I felt like that was actually one of the better things they were doing.
0: Going back to something that we sort of touched on earlier. Till forever says, are some of these goals allowed just what it is like to have a normal goalkeeper? (laughs)
1: <laughs> I mean, apparently, yeah. I mean, you know, you that was a beautiful finish um last night on that second goal, um, I believe from uh Cabral and uh um or sorry um uh, from Harris, Calvin Harris. Um, you know, it was just uh, perfectly curled in there. I don't necessarily know if George Petrovic saves that goal. You know, I mean that was perfectly finished. I think the first one, you know, I mean, we've seen them give up plenty of goals on set pieces with Matt Turner, with George Petrovic. So I don't really blame goalkeeping for for the result last night, uh, but you know, I, yeah, I do think like just going a couple games now without seeing some just outrageous save from your goalkeeper does remind you, yeah, okay, you no longer have you know that guy in net.
0: Uh, also, Alfred on Twitter says, "I know Kevin Hitchcock, the goalkeeper coach, is a god, but what do you think about Turner and Petrovic playing under former goalkeepers Brad Friedel and Bruce Arena? Though, will we miss this with Vasilek?" Uh, uh, despite Kevin Hitchcock still being there.
1: I don't think that um, plays a role. I mean, honestly, I know Bruce was a former goalie, but I don't think like that had any effect on why George Petrovich became the guy that he was or or already sort of in a lot of ways was the guy that he was. And definitely with Turner, I mean, you know, I think, you know, I I, I think, yeah, I mean Friedel. Uh, I give him props always for uh, you know having the foresight to start Matt Turner initially and give him a chance. But I think Hitchcock is your guy for who gets a majority of the credit for for both of that, both in terms of identifying talent and then developing it.
0: Yeah, I'm sure Brad Friedel had some influence on Matt Turner as a goalkeeper that played at the highest level, was a you know, stalwart for the national team. That I'll, I will say, I'm sure Brad Friedel had you know helped him a little bit. Uh, Bruce Arena, you know, he was a goalkeeper, not anywhere near the level of goalkeeper that you know Matt Turner, Brad Friedel, um, Georgie Petrovic was. He got one cap for the United States in the seventies, which was a very, very different time for U.S. soccer. I not to take anything away from Bruce Arena, but I don't think his experience as a pro goalkeeper in a very different era, when uh, the quality was very different. It really had any impact on on Georgie Petrovic I think that was all Kevin Hitchcock and then on top of all that you know Vaslik is a he's 34 he's an experienced pro he's been a starting goalkeeper on La Liga I don't know that there's that much to change about his game I'm sure Kevin Hitchcock will find some things to change um but the combination of I don't think Bruce Arena was that impactful on Petrovic as a goalkeeper and his you know his ability to kind of change his game and I don't think Vaslik needs that much uh, compared to guys like Turner, who was you know very raw when he came to the Revolution, and Petrovic, who um, was less raw than Turner, but you know still had still a young guy that had areas to improve. So I I I like this different angle that I hadn't really thought about, but I don't I don't put too much stock in it.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I mean I I agree. I think you know the one thing that we might see with a veteran goalie coming in, as opposed to you know the previous versions who were younger goalies, is that. You lose a little bit of that, maybe that athleticism, making some of those saves, and the refs have really benefited from that. So we'll see. But again, it's it's an impossible mantle for the next goalie, whoever it is, whether it's Earl Edwards or anyone else, to come in and to fully carry because you're just, again, you're talking about guys who are just basically the best in the league. Yeah.
0: Uh, Golden Hand on Twitter said, Should Esmir get more playing
1: time than Nacho Heal? Um. I mean, it's just based on what I've seen from, like, last night. It's tough to say just because I thought Nacho actually has looked pretty good at different moments. I think, like, if you're banking on either of those players to really be serious impact players at this point in the season, that's maybe a problem. Um, But I also think that, like, Esmir, uh, you know, I I made a joke earlier about, like, how he looks young when he comes on. But, like, you know, that he's, he's a perfectly functioning professional player, though. I mean, he does not look out of place out there at all. He looked... He completes a lot of passes. I like his game in terms of how he kind of gets into those little half spaces and tries to, you know, just keep the ball moving. I think they need more of that sometimes, especially with players around Carles. But I also think that a player like Nacho provides a little more um, going forward than Esmir at this point in terms of ability to take the ball by a guy in terms of ability to retain the ball, even when he's being absolutely pressed like he was at different points last night. So, yeah, I think I would prefer Nacho for the moment. But, I mean, Asmir, as a guy to come in and, and play some minutes as a sub, I think you know that's a good role for him right now. Maybe you get a little more experience and um, continue to develop his game. But just in terms of what his game is right now, I also – I do like that.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with all that. And I think Esmir at the beginning of the season did look a little bit out of place. And I think he's come a long way this year, mm-hmm. which has been you know, very exciting to see for a young guy like him. So I, I – I agree with you. I think that for the time being, I'm still probably on starting Nacho um, if this is the formation they're going to play. But yeah. I think long term, I'd like to see Azmir getting more minutes. I'm glad to see him coming off the bench. I think maybe come 2024, you start the season off with him as a starter. Um, well, okay. I mean, that's going to be complicated, too, if Chanclae is back and Barrera is healthy. <laughs> but, um, you know, right. if, if there's opportunities to give him more starting minutes, I think that's more of a next year thing. But any time you can get him off the bench now, I'm, I'm all in favor of. Um John Pilkington on Twitter says will Damian Rivera be the star player of Rhode Island FC next year?
1: <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I have no idea. I mean, obviously he's currently a Revs player. Um and I forget exactly what his contract situation is off the top of my head, but I mean, look, you know, that's going to be a new team and that maybe seems more like a the type of level where um, Rivera would maybe thrive a little bit as opposed to with the reps where he's been, you know, at best a bench player. So yeah, Hey, maybe that's in the cards and that would be really cool for him. Um, you know, given the local ties there. So, uh, yeah, I guess TBD, but you know, that would be, that would be a fun get for them as a team. If they could uh, maybe make that happen.
0: And John Pilket is a little less high on Esmer. He says, well, Esmer ever passed the ball before running directly into opposing players.
1: I mean, many times, I don't know, like he, he had a pretty good um, pass completion percentage. I think like, you know what? He came into a game where they're down two nothing. He's inevitably I don't know if he's been explicitly told this or not, but he understands like, look, we got to try uh, stuff in order to try to get back into this game. So, yeah, I'm sure, you know, yeah, his his dribbling is not always on par yet. I feel like he still is adjusting to kind of the relentlessness of, a you know, professional high level game in which you know defenders are just moving a little bit faster than they are at some of the other levels maybe that he's been at but in terms of his passing I mean like I said you know he came on and in a short period of time had um, almost as many touches as Thomas Chanclai in um, you know uh, coming on for the final 30 minutes and Chanclai went out at after an hour um, and he completed 80 something percent of his passes had a key pass you know I mean had a shot He was he was trying, and I think like you know, as a young player goes, like you said earlier in the year, I don't think he would have been able to do even that. So I I like that development and that growth from him.
0: Ot Daddy on thread says, when can we expect any real changes from our third manager in the last month and a half? (laughs) Because we should note that they only made one change to the lineup last night, and that was bringing on Farrell for Polster, which was forced because Polster had yellow card accumulation (laughs) suspension.
1: Right, right. So yeah, the the one differentiation was they were forced to make. I mean, honestly, I think. God, you know, I, I can't imagine what the week has been like for, for Clint in that sense. You know, I mean, he came in just sort of out of nowhere. And now suddenly you're managing the first team. And OK, also, yeah, you have a game in Colorado on Saturday. And so you got to be ready for that. So I'm sure that, you know, it was just boilerplate stuff initially in terms of just like, all right, let's not worry about making any changes. Let's just worry about getting ourselves, you know, just mentally ready for this game after this week we've had. And so, okay, here's the lineup, so everyone knows it. I'm sure that, honestly, maybe helped them in the short term. I know the result didn't go their way, but you know, I'm sure in the in just in that period of time, it probably was nice to have a guy come in and just sort of represent some level of continuity for the players. But yeah, I think going forward, he's he's definitely going to want to make changes because certainly it didn't didn't go well, and that didn't seem like your best eleven. So uh, I would expect next game, you know, given a full week in charge now at least that he maybe has more of an idea of uh, some of the things that he wants to do. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah. I
0: think, I think you said it quite well, and I would be surprised if we didn't see some changes next week, then I would start to be a little bit concerned about the lack of yeah. the lack yeah. of movement. Um, a couple of, uh, I guess we're sort of getting into the, the other topics we haven't talked about. We don't have much time left, um, but after a very difficult week, um, Traeger Drouetti says, "Would you qualify that as a united professional performance by the Revs, like they were like they were saying we were going to get from them?" Uh, John Pelican also said, "Did this team seem unified to you?"
1: I mean, it's tough to. I mean, yes, honestly, they you know just from the basic signs, like you didn't see guys you know arguing and fighting on the field, or you didn't see you know, open levels of division. So I guess, you know, from a sense, and like I said, you know, at the beginning of the second half, it looked like they were kind of trying to keep their spirits up. Omar was in there trying to get guys joking. And, you know, it seemed like there there's enough veteran leadership on the team that I do believe them when they say that, that they are um, at least, uh, you know, mostly anyway, or at least by outward appearances, a United front, you know, you'll never fully know, or at least we won't know for now uh, exactly what's going on in the locker room, especially, you know, after a game like last night, who knows, but, Um, Yeah, right now it looks like they're united. It looks like all their problems are just sort of regular level. We have injuries in the wrong places to guys and we don't know who our best 11 is like those are all soccer problems doesn't look like their problems are um, internal player versus player issues to me.
0: Yeah, I agree. It wasn't a great performance, but it, it you know, I think you. It wasn't a, a collapse where the team went out there and had no motivation and you know, didn't look like they wanted to play together. So, you know, it's hard to say after a game like that where you've lost the worst team in the league. But, but I, you know, <laughs> I, I don't think this was a case of these guys are all you know disunited and you know, don't want any part of each other. The one thing I will say, the only kind of, I'm sure there was more than this, but the only one that stood out to me in the broadcast of kind of clash between players in this one, and it, I should have mentioned earlier, but it goes back to kind of your point about Dewan Jones having some chemistry with Ima Boatang. I did see Chonkule get frustrated with Dewan Jones at least one point in this game uh, and had a kind of a lengthy conversation with him where it looked like he was pointing at where he wanted him to go and where he wanted him to pass him the ball. So I thought that was... That was one thing that stood out to me that we haven't mentioned yet, but I, I also don't think that has anything to do with what's been going on in the past few weeks. I think that's um, well, well might have had something to do with DeJuan Jones being away with the national team and not getting the chance to get on the same page. Uh, but unrelated to kind of the the turmoil in the coaching staff in, in front office. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. No, I, I and I, I think honestly, um, you know, I, I'm curious about a player like Chunk and how he gels with the team in general, but that would have been true with with old coaching staff mid-level coaching staff or new coaching staff. I think either either one of those scenarios, um, you would have probably encountered that issue. Yeah.
0: Um. Ryan duplessis on Twitter says, the entire fat fiasco has been ridiculous. I want to stand with the players and trust in them. It has to have been hard in a team that has had so much to deal with internally. I hope they can turn it around. Um, more of a comment than a question, but I think I think I would agree with that. I'm sure it's been a very tough time for them. And I think, at least from outward appearances, they seem to be handling it about it as well as you could hope, even though they lost this game.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I, you know, I think also, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like, I think you, you can't judge them based on one game in this period of time. I think, you know, they've also been struggling as a team since before that, um, honestly, the last, I don't know, however many couple games, even during the Bruce investigation when Richie was uh, interim coach, I mean, they, what they dropped points in consecutive games and basically the last kick of the ball, uh, and then, you know, came out, um, last night and also another poor performance. So that, that kind of transcends, I think, the, the crisis within the club. I think those are two separate things. And, yeah, I think that on that level, you know, they've handled it as well as they can. Granted, we haven't really heard or seen too much of them in that time. We finally heard from Carlos and I know, um, uh, you know, some of my reporter colleagues who were at practice um, last week finally got to talk to some players as well, um, I think like Farrell. And so you know they've they've said all the right things and they seem to be doing all the right things. Um, so yeah, I mean you know they're they're handling it as as best as they can. Yeah, it's
0: yeah. I think credit to the players for maybe not at least yet showing this as a complete collapse of the team's unity and everything. Um, but yeah, I mean a lot ha- has happened this past week. I mentioned at the beginning, uh, Richie Williams was named the interim coach. Well, it sounded like for the remainder of the season, and then it turned out that you know. Brian Bolello said, actually, no, he was never told he was going to be the interim head coach for the remainder of the season. Uh, And then they appointed Clint Pierre as the interim head coach. um, And Richie Williams was now given some time off. And none of that reading between the lines is too surprising when you saw the athletic reporting and it came out that Richie Williams was – at least according to the athletic was one of the people that had complained about bruce arena and that was part of the investigation and there were a lot of players on this team that had come out in support of bruce arena that bruce has got a lot of fans both on the coaching staff and and within the team um and because there really hasn't been much transparency at least that we're aware of either for us or for the players from what we've heard unless they're you know they're keeping it close to the vest as far as what happened um it's it's not too surprising that some players were frustrated with hey richie williams is part of the reason this coach is gone most likely and we don't even know what was said that was enough to get this coach to be gone you know do we trust this guy especially if he can't be transparent with us about what actually happened so that i I don't know about you but it was not surprising that they had to move on from richie williams they probably took too long to do it right because they had these meetings on tuesday that didn't go well obviously
1: I mean, you know, anytime you have a guy who comes out and does a press conference and then 20 within like 24 hours later, you have another press conference with, you know, club officials talking about why that guy is no longer in charge. You know, and that first press conference was supposed to be the one that was supposed to you know, answer questions. This coming after you had canceled the media appearance after the last game in which you had bizarrely announced at full time the resignation of your longtime head coach. I mean, it just it was symptomatic of just a disastrous series of events for them. I don't think you can really, I, you know, without knowing all the details, what I do get the sense of is that the club at least is not just blaming Richie Williams for this. I think they, you know, tried to not necessarily side with him, but just sort of acknowledge that like, okay, that was a mistake. We had to replace him, but we're also not, you know, he, he wasn't gone for the club. He's just sort of like on a, a break or whatever they were saying. Um, they were saying that, you know, he's going to take some time off, I guess. Um, so, but it, it's just such a, such a just bizarre series of events, um, that I do agree that, you know, based on the reporting that we saw from the athletic, um, phenomenal work, um, from, uh, you know, those guys over there, um, Tom and Pablo, um, great reporting. They, um, you know, I think those two reports honestly drove both of the news, um, announcements, you know, the, their report on that Saturday. Uh, I don't know if that led to uh, maybe Bruce's decision led to more of it, but it was like, that led to the announcement on Saturday night, and then the report on Tuesday about the, you know, the, um, the strife within the squad about the, you know, the reported, um, incident of a, a fight between Shari Joseph and Richie Williams in 2022. That all came out on Tuesday afternoon, and that I felt like precipitated the club, um, making that change that night. So yeah, it was like they were reactive to all this, and I think when I asked, um, Brian Bolello about it at the press conference on uh, Wednesday, he said that essentially without saying it, he's, you know, he didn't acknowledge the athletic reports or any of that being the reason for it, but he said we were reactive in all of this and you don't want to be in that position as a club. He kept saying that though, like we were reacting to all this and, and that really did sum it up. They were just reacting to events instead of trying to get ahead of events. And anytime that happens to you in any level, in any organization, I think that's going to be a recipe for, um, not necessarily disaster, but just sort of, I don't know, being behind the eight ball there. Yeah, and, and
0: WK Sapolno on, on Twitter says, my question is, what's the over under on number of games before uh, Revolution President Brian Bolello is fired or resigns? And I think that brings me to a comment or and a, a question for you and a comment that I want to make. And that is, do you think this could have been handled better? Uh, obviously, it was a very, very tough situation for anyone to be put in. But do you think this could have been handled better by the Revolution front office? Because to me, the situation on Tuesday you know, based on what we knew was somewhat predictable, that Richie Williams was going to run into you know some players, coaching staff, whatever that you know wasn't happy with how things went down. And speaking of Brian Below saying he was you know reactive instead of proactive because he had to be, my one you know it's hard to, it's hard to say too much without you know again knowing what happened. But my one thought is you know. It, Assuming you agree with me that it was somewhat predictable the reaction to Richie Williams was going to go the way it did, should Brian Bolello have come out if he was still on board with Richie Williams and wanted to keep him and done a press conference on Tuesday, sat beside Richie Williams and say he did the right thing, we support him fully? You know, he, he was putting him in a very tough position to put him out there, you know, Tuesday by himself, you know, given everything that had happened. And to me, that was a situation where if you wanted to keep Richie Williams as the interim head coach, and at that point, he was the interim head coach, it would have made sense for Brian Blello or Curtin Offo or both to go out there and say, you know, we can't really talk about everything that happened, but Richie Williams did the right thing. We want to keep him here. He has our support. And that to me is the one thing that doesn't quite sit right, um, is that they waited till the next day when they moved on from him to give their press conference. And otherwise, you know, Blello and Onofo were, you know, w- weren't doing media until, until the day after that all went down
1: yeah i mean and it was that was uh summarized the reactiveness to all of that was that they only got out there themselves after it had the the stuff had totally hit the fan and they had had to make another change you know their third head coaching you know head coach interim coach in that case um of the week um yeah i you know i it's, it's hard to say what they should and shouldn't have done without knowing, like, I guess, essentially what they can and can't say about the investigation in a legal sense, maybe, or in a sense of, you know, I, I don't know what um, sort of secrecy they were officially sworn to or not. But um, I understand in terms of an investigation, you're trying to protect people um, and their anonymity who maybe have been the, um, uh, you know, on the receiving end of some sort of abuse. Uh, and the league said that they had confirmed some of those allegations against Bruce Arena. Though, of course, they didn't say what allegations or really offer any sort of detail on that front. And that was part of the players' frustrations. But yeah, I mean, it was fairly predictable from the team standpoint that, especially once those reports emerged that your interim head coach had maybe been one of the guys who had filed complaints that the players uh, who, by all accounts, were very loyal to Bruce Arena had questions about that. And that once you couldn't answer those questions, it should have been foreseeable that there was going to be uh, a growing level of unacceptable frustration from the players at that point. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough one because it's so like unprecedented that there's really no playbook for it. And I looked, it really seemed like the revs were struggling in that, you know, they normally uh, you know, from a public relations standpoint, at least have like a lo- some procedures that they try to follow there, but there was no procedure for that. So they were kind of just improvising and they did not improvise. In uh, the best way. I agree that, you know, maybe it would have been better if uh, more official club representation had been in that Tuesday press conference where you just put your interim head coach out there acting as if it was just any other media availability kind of like, all right, well, here's our guy. And then maybe we'll have a player afterwards. Of course, that Carlos was immediately announced as having, you know, he was not available. It was just going to be Brian, which was sort of a early indication that maybe there was some larger issue in the club, as we now know at that point that, They weren't uh, training, whether it was a player's decision or a collective decision, as they said it was. Um, But yeah, I I think I don't know if it would have made a difference, but it probably would have been a better call, at least in the short term, to just try to have some solidarity within the club. If if Valero and maybe Anolfo had appeared on that Tuesday um, press conference as well, for sure. Yeah, I don't know what
0: would have made would have made a difference either, but I think it would have would have looked better and showed a more of United yeah. front than what we saw. <laughs> so, we, just one last question I wanted to ask you because I had my own thoughts on it is you know we haven't really seen ownership's presence while this is going on. It's been a very troubling time for the team. Lots of chaos. You know, we talked about keeping this team unified. As far as we're aware, you know, Jonathan Kraft, Robert Kraft I haven't really said anything to the team? And, you know, there was all those meetings on Tuesday and it seems like that might've been helpful if, you know, they showed some presence and stepped in and, you know, kind of showed that they were there for the team. And, and I, maybe I'm thinking too much, but do you think that's something that, you know, could have helped if, you know, Jonathan Kraft had been involved in any of these meetings? And maybe he was, but I, I, don't, I don't think so from what we've heard.
1: Yeah, I think um, it absolutely, it could have helped. I think um, it would not have totally... Um, from what we have heard and what I think they still would have done as a club in, in, managing this past week in terms of not really talking about the investigation and offering kind of a minimal amount of details about internal decisions within the club, I don't think any of that would have changed, but I think it's still, yeah, I think, as you said, it kind of would have helped add some, a little more just sort of top down legitimacy in terms of uh, unified front across the club. If, if ownership was there, because we don't normally see the crafts involved with any sort of Revs announcements or revs related anything, um, to be honest. So that added that absolutely would have added something to it. And and the fact that we didn't see that, I think was kind of another sign of just they didn't really know how to handle it. And it seemed like it was just sort of done a little bit haphazardly. And I know that there were unprecedented circumstances involved with that. And so as we were saying, there really was no real playbook for it. But yeah, it would have helped if we'd seen Jonathan Kraft this week for sure.
0: And a good way to wrap up the listener comments, Mike from New Hampshire says, Why us? uh Hayden with that any, any final thoughts and do you have anything coming up in the globe and and where else can people find you on social media
1: uh so yeah I mean you can uh still find me on uh well twitter x whatever we're calling it these days at uh Hayden at Hayden H bird um and you can find my work on boston.com uh just had my takeaways from last night's game uh go up um or from Saturday night's game depending on when you're listening to this um uh that just went up so that's available um along with the bunch of different news from the past week about the club. Um, and you can always find my work there. Um, and yeah, it's been, uh, great to be here. I think that, um, it's always great to talk about this team and I I love covering it, but it's just been such a difficult week for, uh, the club as a whole. And then this result just kind of compounds on it. But even still, I would just leave everyone with the fact that they're still at this moment anyway, in third place in the Eastern conference. And while they are beset by numerous issues, um, you look at where Colorado is, having just gone through a similar thing of having replaced their coach yet again. They're in last place. The Reds are in third place. So you could still spin this in a positive way if you're the team. You just need to be able to find a way to start getting results.
0: Hayden, thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure to have you on the podcast uh, to wrap things up. I do want to give a quick shout out to my favorite story in New England soccer right now, which is my Bryant men's soccer team uh, as an alumni of the school. Very happy to see them 6-0-0 to start the season yet to get to see a goal. They hired Ruben Resendez, as the former uh, Franklin Pierce, coach who won the national title last year and i've been doing a fantastic job so far this year so if you're looking for a positive new england soccer story to watch that's a a good one to to keep track of um you can follow me on twitter at sean Aldaniu, and of course follow the podcast on twitter x whatever you want to call it facebook instagram threads even at revolution recap please rate and review us on itunes spotify or wherever else you listen to podcasts be sure to check out our friends at the blazing musket thanks again for listening to revolution recap presented by bet online and we'll be back after the next game with another podcast